0: Welcome to All The Things, a podcast for moms seeking an inspired life. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Chin. I'm a writer and a coach, and my most passionate truth is that the world needs the real you. That's why I created this podcast, to discover all the things that make us who we are, because the better we understand ourselves, the more good we can do in the world. So let's do that together. Hello and welcome to today's episode of All the Things. Uh, this is your host, Lisa Chin, and I am on Zoom with my friend, May Young. And May is a writer, a lawyer, and a mom from Melbourne, Hong Kong, and Los Angeles. She's my international mom friend. And before we get started in our conversation today with May, I wanted to first acknowledge that I am speaking and podcasting from the traditional and unceded territories of the Nipmuc and Massachusetts people. And I share a land acknowledgement before every podcast episode to ground the conversation. Um, I know that May and I will definitely touch on race during this conversation, but systems of inequity and injustices are kind of all around us, and it bears reminders um, kind of throughout our lives and every day to just keep that in mind as we are going about our often privileged lives with privileged conversations. So that is, um, that's that. So let's get started. Um, May, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: I'm so happy to be here with you, like face to face, almost. <laughs>
0: yes. For some orienting with the audience, right? Um, mm-hmm. I The first season of, um, of all the things. is about people I know. And mm-hmm. so you and I have an interesting relationship, but I wanted to have you give you the opportunity to share with the audience what it is, like how we know each other and kind of our relationship from your lens.
1: Well, I was so lost. Um, was it around May, June last year when um, the the riots, the race—is there a better way of saying it? I think of them as the race riots were happening, and there was like finally, like the very belated reckoning with um with 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 the issue of um, racism in in the U.S. and all the conversations that I wanted to participate in, to, and also to like to find my way as a Chinese Australian here and having some. And, and actually having some regard for how, how we live with each other. Um, there was no, there was no one I could relate to because the conversation was very, from my experience, black and white. So it was hard enough, like, you know, we I think we were both, what, Jennifer Wilsia, you might have been on that call. I don't know if you were on that talk, but we found our way there through, I found my way to that talk through um. Kimberly Johnson from being in, in that kind of maga mama community and conversation. Anyway, I, I just found that there was no, there was very little acknowledged. There was like how you, your your accountability as a Caucasian American, um, but there was very little talk of how, as a as a Chinese migrant, like not even a Chinese American. Um, of how we fit into the picture and where our accountability and where we fit in all this, and I felt quite invisible too, because a lot of my my experience of a lot of the discussion was that it was time for you know the privileged white um, population, the people in the U.S. to to bear to bear what they had put. Um, onto um, other ethnicity uh, onto the um, African-Americans. But um, I was like, well, but this also isn't my burden to bear. Like, I care, but I didn't, it's not, that oppression isn't to do with me. And um, I just, you know, and it was also just in a nervous system sense, such chaos. And I was just looking for people who c- c- could un- could even, have some sense of of where I was at so that's not very concise so what happened was yeah during a during one of those Megamanda Kimberly Johnson podcasts I don't know which I did say you know I don't know we were talking about it was the, the discussion was around internalized white supremacy and I thought well yes I, I've definitely got that in my system but I was like I was looking for someone who is at least Asian to discuss that with, because clearly my um, experience to um, with um, internalisation of white supremacy is pretty um, different to s- someone who is black or white. And then Kimberly Johnson um, said, "Oh, you got to speak to Lisa Chin." And then you reached out to me before I even found you, like you saw your name coming from the chat, and then
0: you found me it was actually my friend Tiffany, she was attending that call. And I think yeah. I, I was doing something for work. And she's like, "Kimberly, just mentioned your name on her on the call. And I'm like, "What? what's going on? So I think I might have, I don't know if I watched a recording or and then I think it posted on the Mega Mamas group. Oh. Um, and I was like, someone out there, and I don't know, I don't know remember what the post said, but we found each other.
1: Yeah, I need a community. And right away, you gathered people together which is something that you seem to be a natural at um you got together I've forgotten the names of the other women who on the Facebook group that you set up but just those chats they were very grounding for me and they got me through a couple of months when I was just scattered and lost just even to have someone to talk it with because my friends who are white they were dealing with their shit, their stuff. Sorry, I beg your pardon. So there was no, they had no capacity.
0: Where can I ask you kind of like, how do you, where do you see yourself now? Like what, I don't know if there's a conclusion, but like, as of right now, at least, like where do you see yourself in this like race discussion or in this conversation?
1: Well, I do, I would say in terms of difference, Um, It's very clear, like, one of the reasons that I left the U.S. is because I thought, oh, this is no place to be a non-American because I don't have this history in my system. Um, So I would say I'm very clearly not American. And actually my American friends here, they're always surprised. What do you mean by American? There's no difference. Like, there's a difference. Like, when you're in it, when you are the dominant culture, you don't notice it, whatever race you may be. Like, if, if you've grown up with the with all that and and with the, the, you know, legitimacy, the citizenship of being here. Um, I see myself, this is going to sound lame and maybe a bit of, I see myself as a person in all this. Um, I can understand why there is so much formality and theory and terminology to discussing all of this. You know, because then because it wasn't discussed, it needed to be a language and, and a way to discuss it almost without all the um, charge. And this term, like, so my, my daughter went to a, she was at school here and we learned about, you know, even something like microtransgressions and there was a whole PowerPoint on it. And I was like, dude, that's just like, and then I saw people very, st- studiously taking notes and really, like, investigating how did behave properly to the degree that I could see that. And I saw this daily at my daughter's school, which was a very conscious, liberal, um, predominantly white school. People would almost go into a freeze, not able to communicate because they were so worried about getting it wrong. And, not, and, and it wasn't just, like, about... Um, fitting in there's an element of that but it's like i really don't want to do any more damage but actually got in the way i think of just relating as human beings because you're constantly thinking am i doing the right thing so i guess in all this i'm working i rather than thinking about my Asianness is going to come up my not being american will come up when i'm not in america like you just feel it it's just in the experience because the perspective is different. But where I am is where I really want to be is in my body and relating from soul rather than mind. And I think when you look at people, you know, Marion Woodman talks about it, you look through your eyes rather than with your eyes, and you do actually see differently when you look people in the eye, you know, that way, Um you actually relate soul to soul, as cheesy as that may sound, and somehow there's more flow um, and humanity and space in um, relating to each other. And, of course, there's also so much delight when you relate to people in that way rather than from a place of um, fear or perfection, however well-meaning that may be.
0: Mm. I love that. I am a person.
1: Yeah. But I say that having grown up always kind of an outsider. So like in Australia, it would ease to, you know, we were the um, Chinese. And then in Hong Kong, I was at a German school. So I was a Chinese, but also in relation to Hong Kong people, I was like, well, no, Hong Kong's pretty international. But in China, for example, I was like, how do you say, what am I? Uh, Am I an egg? No, banana. And then here there's that otherness of being Chinese and Australian. So you always, for me anyway, I've always known with that outsider experience, even if people are inclusive, I do, I can't help because of the contrast, Um, see the differences
0: mm.
1: or be aware of them.
0: It's, you know, I'm thinking about that because I have felt a little bit like that also Um. But just it just but very much relating to your initial story about how we met, like feeling very like kind of lost in the race conversation, just kind of being on the outside. And then in different instances in my life, but like right now, like in a predominantly white town and feeling like I'm not quite here, but then at the same time at other times feeling like I'm very much part of the fabric. And I think everyone I feel like everyone not just Chinese people or people of color or anything like that I think everyone has these moments where they don't feel like they're in it yeah and then they also feel like they are totally in it and the ability to kind of bounce back between the two is like this it gives you a little bit of flexibility I think but I think that for some people, they want to be in it all the time.
1: What is that it, I mean, first of all, even when I'm with my family, I sometimes feel like I'm not in it. So I couldn't be more genetically similar. <laughs> like that's, that's the most genetically similar kind of environment I will be in. But then I, you know, sometimes it's so lonely with, um, with, with family, you know, and then to be in it all the time I see I see what you mean, and I think, when I think about people who are in all the time, you know, I think of I can't pronounce it, the, the dude who wrote the books on anger and communication, the Vietnamese monk, I think, oh, he'd be in it all the time because he's
0: relating from,
1: <laughs> he's not relating from those um, ego identifiers.
0: I feel it's like come, he's in it, but um, it's because he's a, just unattached to it that he's in it.
1: Yeah, that I have to be a particular way or you are a particular way. It's like, a,
0: yeah, it's, it's flow. Like, I think, like, if
1: you think about animals, I don't think, like, sometimes they think I'm a, I'm a pigeon and you're a cockatoo. I think they just, they're just in it. they mm. just get fun with.
0: hmm Yeah. Building yeah. and finding worms. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned um, perfection. And that was definitely a topic I wanted to touch on for multiple reasons. However, the first thing I wanted to bring up was that, you know, with some of the guests to the show, I share a list of questions beforehand, just because some people like to kind of have a lay of the land before they enter a conversation. Um, And then you said you didn't, and you quote said, because I want to answer honestly rather than perfectly. Yeah. Can you share more about that?
1: I mean, I, Lawyered for a very long time, and um, that was all about getting the sentence right, like drafting to perfection as you go and redlining. And so you might come up with something that's absolutely watertight and grammatically correct and irrefutable, but it's really got nothing to do with how you feel. And that's, you know, the whole meaning of what you say or what you mean to say. It, it's it's feeling it's really just feeling put into form so I know that if you give me it's just the way I'm my my tendency now if you tell me the question before I will start drafting in my head beforehand and I'll be doing that all day like at moments when it's got absolutely nothing to do with what I should be doing um and then I saw myself trying to remember while I chat to you the perfect thing that I came up with in my head, <laughs> not answering the question at all. And how I, you know, my answers, like when I engage with you, I'll be reminded of what I really mean. Mm. I could, yeah. Although, mind you, I do wish I had put some thought into how, like, you know, the story of how we met because I, I, I did ramble rather, but there you go. It
0: is what it is. Well, that's, sometimes stories kind of come together in reverse and they kind of they like go slowly and they kind of back up into each other. It's kind of how it goes.
1: Yeah, I so, think it was a messy, messy time too for me, so it's still hard to put into words
0: mm-hmm. or orientate where I was at because, yeah, I think, yeah, I was lost. When do you think you made that? Have you always been someone like that would have said, hey, don't get don't send me the questions, or when did that become your answer? Like
1: that became my answer probably from when I was 41. <laughs> that's so specific. And six months and mm-hmm. two days. that happened, I think it came from when I was transitioning and kind of retraining, like training myself out of being a lawyer. Um and that's to be a creative, because I came like it was very clear to me that I thought oh I'm a lawyer I'm really good at words and I understand structure and I'm gonna write things that make sense and land and then I actually couldn't write anything because I was like I couldn't immerse so I did improv and I also studied um, I've been studying many years now with Joan Shackle and she's all about what's alive and what what you feel when you're she doesn't talk about like writing a story writing for her is doing you get up and you we talked about this you get up and you do it you embody the story through action and feeling and so from that I and also like studying with Rhea Katagiri who's um she's not about like using your mind to control how you move it's actually prioritizing the body and listening with your whole being not just like your your brain ears, about where your body's inclined to move. And so from those, I think, three um, um, kind of fields of study, disciplines, I came to experience that I'm much, I'm more likely to be truthful and to actually enjoy communicating from those places.
0: Were you like that as a kid? Yes. Yes.
1: So I don't know if like you, but you know how like it's very prescriptive how you should be when you grow up a Chinese kid. So you have to act proper. But both my sister and I tend to get really enthusiastic. So I would say that we tended to answer when we're happy and just excited from a place of spontaneity Mm -hmm. that... We later came to see it wasn't um, always the, 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 the usual thing. Like, we were told to like rein it in sometimes. Not just by in like in a Chinese community, but also like, you know, Aussies. It's supposed to be kind of like casual and just not get too
0: excited about anything. I mean, I can see that also in America, just being like a, a female, you know, not to be too much and not to up too much space or to be i mean i can see myself kind of doing that to my my kids like "Ah, i can't you have to be quiet and it's too loud and they're just doing their thing playing and i i get frozen but i do do a lot of thinking in the moment i'm like am i screwing them up right now but i'm still you know the words are still coming out of my mouth i stopped doing that
1: (laughs) well the thing is it would be nice if we could all have space Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like if my if I'm jet lagged and my daughter she will just wake up and start going like a hundred miles an hour like that's just where she's at I'm like dude I'm jet lagged like mommy wants to hear you but I'm not totally receiving you right now so you can keep talking but I might not (laughs) I might not capture everything you say Or like, if you want a way to like, this is me when I'm being conscious. Most times, like a lot of times I just go into my head and I go make a coffee. I'm like, you keep doing what you're doing. Here's a journal. (laughs) Put it in the journal.
0: Now, as a, you said you you kind of felt like an outsider, um, kind of throughout like various groups, like as a lawyer, then I imagine with the way that you are now, did you also feel the same way?
1: Well, I took myself less seriously when I was a lawyer. When I was younger, I didn't really have a sense of my worth. And then I thought, again, it's like in my family, we would, I was kind of taught that you should work really hard and not ask for much. I think this comes from my dad, who's a surgeon. He was He kind of said, just don't complain and work really hard and smile a lot. So it's, it wasn't like about being a girl. It's just like, I think really about being the Asian person at work. But I think even then he was sent to his relatives to live because his parents couldn't fit everyone in the flat when he was four. So it might be that thing of just never asking for much, which I internalised. So I w- again, like I guess because I didn't really want to be a lawyer through and through and I probably there's something in me that finds it very difficult just to fit in. Like it's like death for me when you have to behave. <laughs> mm. So in that way, um, I didn't quite fit in at the law firm, but I could have been, I could have done better for myself at the firm if I'd just taken myself seriously and thought, oh, just because I like to play and laugh, it doesn't mean that my lawyer skills are less And I realized that as I, um, I didn't stay at the, you know, what do you call them here? White shoe firms very long, but actually it was only whenever I left the law firm, say like sometimes I had to go help out a barrister or go on secondment that I got a sense of, oh, these, um, my lawyer technical skills are fine. There's a lack of interest. Like I don't really care about corporate law. I'm not going to read the financial review every day because it's boring, but I'm the, like in terms of like also skills I didn't know were valuable, like just relating to people, again, being a human being. Um, they came to be very useful when I worked in-house and you're not with a pack of lawyers who, who understand how the law should function or how you should act so that you mm-hmm. don't get sued. It's, it was a kind of a flexibility for dealing with people who don't know what they're talking about and actually don't really care that you're a lawyer and think you suck because you're getting in the way of them doing their deals. So that capacity for play and relatability actually came in really handy when I was outside of the firm.
0: It's really interesting. Cause it makes me think like you, so this whole idea of like fitting in, you like found that in a, almost like a homogenous group, you couldn't be yourself. Like you had to like feel that you felt the need to fit in, but when you're in this like diverse group, in terms of like you were, you were with people who are not lawyers, they didn't have any expectations of you from that standpoint. So you could be like your own kind of lawyer. I think
1: that um, they did have expectations. They thought I would be a douchebag. Like, you know, lawyers often are, like, not all. So awesome. I think where I came from is like the lawyer training. And I would also say this is very, apparent to me in American culture maybe to do with the history of how the country was founded it's a conflict we're gonna fight we're gonna argue until we prove who's right no one wants to be wrong like it's just it doesn't it really doesn't work it works for generating fees if you have a fight for the for the but when you're in-house it's more about oh well you want to get this deal done this is what we need to do to get it done what do you like it's not trying to appease or accommodate it's just kind of looking at the actual distinct actions you need to take so you can make money for the company that you're in-house at
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you I mean you would still argue if there was another lawyer in another company that would
1: I mean other lawyers would like would get along great on a call and then would agree to all the changes and then when the when the like if they're in charge of like redrafting the document um, during negotiations, then, like everything we had discussed and agreed on would be completely ignored, and the document that came back would be completely one sided. Like, dude, you're just wasting time. So, there's that. I was just thinking though, Lisa, you know, I, yes, there was that pressure to fit in, but sometimes then there's that time, the more that I'm pressured, the more that I rail against it. Um, and I would say that I think being privileged. Like I would say, financially privileged, knowing that if I got the sack, I wouldn't be out on the street. That did give me freedom. And that was different to, say, how my dad grew up and also different to some of my colleagues who had to work so hard just to, they were completely on their own to get through law school. And I think that's also, I've also seen that in the, you know, from my perspective, what I've seen, In Los Angeles anyway it's a very hard life here there's some people who are crazy rich I see day to day like people driving two hours to get to work for kind of pretty crappy pay it's it's to me it's it's relatively hand-to-mouth relative to how I see Australians live So what am I saying? Oh, and that's why I'd be like, ugh, why are you just like not using your brain and just doing what you've been told to do? Why are you just going by the script? Why are you just acting like people say you should act without considering whether you're being truthful? Like that's me being all judgy. I'm like, oh, actually you haven't had the freedom really. You can't necessarily take the risk to, you feel you can't take the risk to do otherwise.
0: Yeah. And I would think like, um, with at least my basic understanding of the nervous system, right? Like the that that's really hard to kind of de, de- what's the word decondition or like to deprogram out of us, right? This fear of fitting in and this fear of like, what if like what if I you know, what if this happens to me, I, then I my whole world, my whole structure that I've built is going to be in shambles.
1: Yeah. I think age helps definitely. um but I would say like never doubting that I could pay for my groceries um that's a massive privilege
0: yeah I mean I see that for myself too like you know my mom was an immigrant here and she worked in a factory did it you know did overtime like I think when she first moved to the U.S. she was making like three dollars an hour and Jesus. Yeah. It was like in the 1980s. I mean, I'm sure it was legal. It's union. It was a union. So it wasn't like it was under the table or something like that. Um, But, you know, all of the conversation, like, like the things that I get to do because she, you know, put in all the sacrifices and she, because she couldn't do those things. Like it, it makes me like, want to do my things even more (laughs) on one hand. And then the other hand, it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm, you know I'm fretting about this one thing that like my mom like would have loved to like you know even had the possibility of doing
1: like the stupid thing that I did which I remember was you know like I don't know first baby you th- you think you have to get the list you have to get the shopping list from the baby site and you sort of go and buy everything on that list so that y- your your experience of a newborn can be perfect and um and like I was obsessed with getting this sleeping bag. Like you had to get a sleeping bag so the baby wouldn't twist itself into blankets and then strangle herself. <laughs> and, so, and my mom was kind of like, what are you talking about? You just get a towel and you wrap her like this. Mm-hmm. Like he's, um, my mom, my mother is just, but all these things that we think that I thought I needed, like she's just very resourceful. And now it's trendy using jars, reusing jars. <laughs> now you have to go buy the the, the containers that look like reuse jars from Target.
0: <laughs> that is a, a question I asked. I don't know if you do this when you're when you're parenting, but like I I'll think like, did my mom have to do this? Like does it make sense for me to to buy that thing or to to go with, along with this idea? Like is this actually true or is this true because of the narrative that I'm reading? Do you mean like a, an object? Like a tool? Anything. Yeah, like tools or, or like, you know, um, like reading all about like cry it out or reading about even like carriages or not awesome. sleeping, you know, just like other, there's a various things that are normal in parent, normal in modern, modern day parenting, normal in quotes. Um, but then when I think about my mom, I'm like, well, did she, do, like, did she do that? Like, would that have made sense for her? Or yeah, then I, back and like did the cave people do this? <laughs> which is more about like a biological <laughs> norm
1: like like with square wheels made from rocks <laughs> <laughs> no but also my I'd say for my mom anyway she didn't have the choice and also I don't know Lisa were things more expensive back then in a way because there was less mass production I don't know but I, th- I think the big deal for my mom was just having one of those taps that um Automatically release hot water, so that she could make a um, she could powder our milk quickly. My mum got she yelled at me, so I was staying. I was like, the IFC Mall is it's got a massive hall. It's a massive mall in Central Hong Kong. I'd say it's like I don't have a great spatial sense, but I would say it's at like least you know an Olympic-sized swimming pool width in the lobby. And I wasn't paying attention. I was just standing in the middle of the hall, of the lobby where I'm um, just texting while I was. And um, my mom yelled at me. She was so upset. She was like, you need to get to the side. Get up against the wall. You're taking up so much space. Everyone's looking at you right in the middle. You're standing right in the middle, getting in everyone's way. You're taking up so much space. And I, I was like, what the, like, for, who, first of all, who cares if anyone's disapproving of where I'm standing? Secondly, they weren't. And thirdly, there was like heaps of room for people to get about, but she was so agitated. I wonder if it's also a bit of touch of senility, but I think it was also to do with like, you're just not meant, you just, if you're not supposed to stand there, you're not supposed to stand there. And you're definitely not supposed to stand in the middle. Mm-hmm as a girl and i i would say that um i've had you know it comes again like i've had space like I've had, I've had space from her to study overseas and i haven't grown up i have been grown up required to orientate in relation to my elders but just because of it's not just i think the cultural the asian culture it's just the times that we're in like you, you're how you Um, a position as an individual has changed
0: you're saying that your position as individual uh, in terms of Asian culture has changed through the generations or something else
1: Also, also sense of self and also how I am as a person I don't know if this is true but you know like it's part of evolution which is good but would you say that Across the board, we're more um, emotionally aware and there's a sense of well-being. Almost to a pathological degree, I would say, to the point that can get too precious. Whereas, like, in our parents' generation, at least with my parents, they'd be like, dude, you just get on with it. Like, my mum lost her... Oh, my mum lost her first child when when the girl, Natasha, was 18 months old. Mom didn't really elaborate. She said, oh, you used to have, because I once said, do you feel glad that you had a son? You had a son so that there was less pressure from the grandparents for your first one? She said, actually, no, my firstborn um, was a girl and her name was Natasha and she was born in Canada. But because of these um, morning sickness pills that she was given back in the day, back in the late 60s um the baby was born um with a hole in her stomach and so she didn't last very long and all these years I'd never heard of this sister of mine and then after that my mum was an interior designer and then the solution was well that just means you should stop working so that next time it's okay as if it was to do with that and you know she had miscarriages like at five months so she'd have also another older brother and you know all this stuff that we would actually I hope we would take time now to um grieve and make space for she just carries all of that in her body Mm. and uh so, you know, it's another kind of privilege that I would have someone who would pause or I, I would even have a mind to pause to care for myself when I know that I'm not, I haven't been through it, but just to have some awareness that, oh, it's time to take pause. And the strange thing, well, not so strange, but now my mum has, in her conscious mind, forgotten that she had a first daughter. Mm. Now, in her conscious mind, um, my brother was her first kid, so... She
0: she's seven in the mid seventies now. Well, I do wonder if the, if that is a, like, a, I mean, it's a response to trauma, but like if that's a survival mechanism, right? Like if we feel too much and we don't have a way of like discharging it, then we become unable to do anything. Like we, so like, if we, we have, we have resources, like you and I have resources around us. Mm -hmm. We have, we have teachers, there's classes, there's books, there's people that in our lives that we can kind of talk to about these things. But I know like if something like that were to happen to my mom, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hear about it, you know, probably until I was old enough to kind of handle it or whatever, but her pushing it down was, is just simply, the survival, you know, I remember like Kimberly saying, you know, like feeling neutral about something is a trauma response. And and this is more around like, like whenever I ask my mom, like if she wants like noodles or rice for lunch, she's like, I don't care. Anything will do. Yeah. And that's because like she grew up starving. So yeah. you can't, you can't like, you can not feel like you, you need something because you don't have a choice. So if you grew up like not having a choice, you're going to develop a response where you're like, I, I, my body can't actually desire something because I don't right. have that, like, if it's not feasible. So if, if I, I have to be okay with the fact that there's not that choice.
1: That's right. I think, you know, my mom's situation wouldn't have been um, isolated. It wasn't just that she pushed it down. Everyone else around, I think she actually really needed to be held and contained, but everyone else just pushed it away.
0: So, well, I think that that's um, like, we're born needing that. Right. So like, of course the person who needs it is, is going to need it. And then if they don't see it from the outside. Yeah. Then they're going to have to yeah, figure it out.
1: I, you know, I do it too, but you know, like when you just even just go to a friend's place, you go, would you like a cup of tea? Go, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's like a default response. Because you don't want to bother someone and you think like you can't ask. And I'm just kind of like when people say that to me, like, okay, are you saying that because you really don't want a cup of tea? or Are you saying that because you don't want to bother me? Because I would really love to make you something nice to drink. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they will relent. But um, it's our relationship to pleasure and desire. I was thinking about this. Actually, as I was getting ready to chat to you, I was like, oh, I really wanted to do like <laughs> 45 minutes of qigong and drop in and just like meditate. So I'm totally centered to meet, to chat with Lisa. And I was like, oh, well, I could just enjoy washing my hands.
0: <laughs> I
1: could just, like, really enjoy the feeling and like the, the nice slippery soap and the warm water over my hands. And I feel like if, again, we were just educated to you know, of course it would be nice always to have time for something for you that's a pleasure, but you can actually there is time and space for pleasure in in, in your day. Um you know, the, the stop and smell the roses. But you can there is a lot you can do for your I think for your body um, and your mind if you can just yeah, catch it.
0: Mm-hmm. I really love that. It, it's like you are there's always a presence to be had it's like you don't need to meditate to be present you can just be present in whatever it is that you're doing
1: yeah it's like my like Joan Shack was saying there are no ideal working conditions Um, and you know there probably are no ideal pleasure conditions unless you go off to like you know Bali
0: Um, you share this <laughs> idea of like you, you kind of mentioned it a few times like time and space throughout this conversation yeah. i think like you know when i so you and the so the listener knows like you and i have communicated more via like voice messages on whatsapp than anything else but what i find in your messages it's always like and maybe it's the the aussie accent but it's like there is a space to your to your speaking like you're generally you know thoughtful and slow and when I listened to it you could have said you know the same you could have kind of yammered on for five minutes and said the same thing you would have said in five minutes of more spacious conversation yeah
1: I I do yammer on and there is something unique or particular to our exchange where that was my Lisa May thing. It was just like, cause we were often ref- exchanging reflections on our day or sharing. It was, it was a kind of share we were engaging. in, I think, and often it would be the wee hours for me towards the end of the day or, or like for you, it's, It often came from a very quiet time of day, but also from a very quiet place that you're not one is not always in and that was part of the delight that knowing that oh this is it was almost like a default place to go to when I when I like VMs with you but do you do you do that usually exchange voicemails I started doing it once I went to Hong Kong and people um, generally use voicemails because Chinese takes too long to write Mm.
0: um I I've done it a lot with you and one other friend on WhatsApp, mm-hmm. but I think it was you who I started doing it with, or maybe you started doing it with me and I responded and I will do that. I will respond in kind. So if someone voice messages me, I will voice message them back. Right. Just trying to keep yeah. that exchange going. Um, but I do really enjoy it because, but I do yammer on, I do kind of like, I see this one time I sent you like a 30 minute message.
1: That was amazing on marriage. Have you
0: listened to it? I listened Should to I it transcribe it for you? <laughs> maybe <laughs> be I'll amazing what of the moment. Maybe I'll post it if you wouldn't mind. I, I might post it on yeah. uh, on the podcast for others to listen yeah. to.
1: <laughs> I was just wanting to say that it is different when you know you do get a, the the headspace again when you're you're speaking from that place. And you never know what comes up because you, you, you're not planning as you write. And I don't know, Lisa, I don't quite trust writing with two fingers. I feel like you're thinking maybe with two fingers of your brain when you're like texting into, not you, but one is texting into the phone. Mm. So I'd rather respond with my whole being, with my voice. And I love voice.
0: Mm. Well, you know, it might be too like autocomplete like that probably screws things up (laughs) for people.
1: (laughs) How dare you? How dare you tell me what I wanted to say?
0: Although I have been, I have been one to like uh, Google or Gmail has now like has auto-complete on some of their messages and I'm like, that sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) But I I would, I I do think that that's actually a beautiful thing because like when you are speaking and I, I found this in podcasting when I was recording some solo episodes. I, I just I had to do them over and over again because I was just saying random stuff that wasn't really relevant. Whereas if I was writing, I would be able to kind of stop myself, reflect a little bit. But when you're talking, you kind of I also think we're so we're so conscious about the silences that we kind of want to fill the air. And when I'm doing these like solo podcasts and like blah, blah blah and I just start talking about something completely random like oh let me circle back to this. <laughs> yeah so if you're in a voice exchange with a friend that's kind of a, a nice thing because then you can kind of go on these tangents and they can kind of see your where you're going to and and follow along as you're kind of going that way
1: I mean there's a lot of meaning in the silences you know, the pregnant, is it a pregnant silence, it's not like it's a void. There's a ton of feeling in silences. And you can actually, sometimes when I listen to your messages, I can hear like what you're going through and that's very beautiful. Um, and also, oh, yeah, I do like it sometimes. I can't remember which podcast when there's a silence because it's almost a little bit exciting. I think, oh, did they did it cut out or did they just lose their train of thought? And then when they come back, you don't know when they're coming back in. It's like, oh, and I didn't know you would say that. That's exciting, the suspense, because you don't know. Mm. You no, know, you can't really space, space, space when you're writing. I mean, you
0: can use ellipticals. Yeah. You can I mean, we try to, right? I think writers try to, and poets often like, we'll space things differently and we'll use dashes and, and we'll use even like spacing, like between letters in a word. Like, you've seen the you've seen all of that. Like, people have you try to convey this emotion and this presence and that spaciousness in writing as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It can be done, but I do like the immediacy. Of audiovisual,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I have really enjoyed this conversation.
1: Oh, so much. I love talking to your face, as I said before.
0: Same here. Um, one thing I like to ask the guests of the podcast at mm-hmm. the end of the show is to share a truth of theirs, something they know to be true.
1: You do know. What's good for you? Mm. We're told what we should do and how we should meet, but everyone at the bottom, maybe like right towards their groin and deep in their heart, they know like what's true. And the habit maybe just to go straight to the tension and fix what's wrong. But if you drop into the space where there's space, then that's the way in to access what's true.
0: In the silence and in the space. (laughs) Mm, It's really beautiful.
1: You are very beautiful, Lisa (laughs) Chin. I'm
0: so glad you exist.
1: Thank you
0: you as well <laughs> thank you now um thank you for sharing you with the people who are listening and I just so appreciate your openness to having this conversation recorded I know that this isn't something that you normally do so I just I'm so grateful same I, what I'm grateful for
1: with you is that you just do it you do everything and you and you do it with your whole heart. So thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in today. A great big thank you to Medfield TV for their support and editing this episode. Living an inspired life is a worthy endeavor. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Be sure to subscribe in your preferred podcast player for future real conversations. And if any part of this episode made you think of a friend, Let them know that they aren't alone in their journey and share all the things with them. If you'd like to stay in touch, hop on over to lisaforreal.com and sign up for my daily blogs or find me on Instagram at Reclaiming Motherhood. See you next time.